Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans across the wide and wonderful internet. Michael Shibley with you here for another awesome and glorious episode of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Again, hope you guys have been having a wonderful week out there. We got big sports. It is one of my favorite times of the year and probably the greatest sports month of the year. Of course, college football and the NFL are in full swing the baseball playoffs are getting underway as we record this. And then, of course, the NBA and the NHL are starting very soon. So very exciting time. All four major sports underway here in the U.S. I love it. Great stuff happening. But let's first get to all the good stuff, get the business out of the way. And again, this is the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. And of course, you can talk with us at stagediverradio.com, where you can check out all the other great shows we've got, Haffle, J&B's DLC, Scruffy Little Podcast, Deadbeat Radio, so much more in there as well. People in my neighborhood, a bunch of other great, great, awesome shows that we've got there. And of course, you can interact with us through email at Stage Diver Radio at Gmail at stagediverradio.com. And of course, you can also talk with us on the hotline at 865-888-0109. As well as, of course, get all these podcasts wherever you find the awesome podcasts that you listen to. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And of course, everywhere that you interact with us, please rate, review, subscribe, share, comment. We want to hear from you. We want to make these the best podcasts that we can. So please do your part. And we, of course, will keep the awesome content coming as well. And of course, you can interact with us here on this show. You can follow me, Michael Shibley, on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley, as well as on Instagram at Michael underscore Shibley as well. And of course, we have the Modern Day Gladiators podcast uh, Facebook page set up as well. So, of course, if you like and share that and like the page, we will do uh, live videos. I do a lot of that stuff, especially here during the football season and wherever big breaking sports news happens, you get my immediate take on that as well. And, of course, I put that on my YouTube page as well. So, any way you can interact with us, we do appreciate it. We love you guys out there. So, hopefully, you guys enjoy having us uh, in your earballs and everything here on this great podcast. But let's get to all the big sports news that happened. Of course, college football, we are in the thick of it now as we have ended September and now into October as true conference play really gets going. This is always a fun time of year. Always exciting to have just the, the, the great action. I mean, we had some great games this last weekend in September. Of course, the Vols in Georgia, which I'll talk about in a second. Ohio State and Penn State in that great whiteout atmosphere. They're up there at State College in Ohio State making the comeback and Penn State with a questionable fourth down call. I'm not running the zone read on fourth and five and takes me all those timeouts to set up. I'm not doing that. Clemson has quarterback troubles. Craziness going on, and we'll break down all those. But let's talk Tennessee football first as the Vols, of course, drop another one to the Georgia Bulldogs. They scored this time 38-12, to losing at Georgia And the big question coming out of that for Tennessee is, can the Vols feel better about themselves even after losing their third game by 26 points? West Virginia, Florida, and Tennessee lost to all of them by 26 points, which is a nice uh, statistic just for numbers. Not good for Tennessee fans, obviously. But we've got this going on, and, you know, I, I feel 
it's tough to feel better about a program after another SEC loss as the losses in the SEC pile up. We have not won an SEC game since we beat Missouri in November of 2016, so that's not good. But Tennessee, I felt much better about the team after this loss than I did after the Florida game. Tennessee did a better job of not turning the ball over. We only had the one fumble where Banks fumbled late in the game, led to a Georgia touchdown after the game had pretty much already been decided. So you have that. I thought the defense played much better. I think they kept from looking around. It's interesting because, again, we had, uh, of course, Chase Dyer and Terry Snow were on the show last week, big Georgia fans, and they were talking to me uh, after the game and talking about how, you know, Fromm has been frustrating for them, which he did. He seemed to be more pressured in this Tennessee-Georgia game than he did in the Alabama game in the national championship, which was interesting. Um, They're feeling like Fields could be the future there, and maybe even the very near future, like in the next few games, maybe against LSU and some of these other games coming up that Georgia has to be aware of. It seemed like the offense maybe ran a little smoother. Georgia could still run the ball at will. I mean, they had 251 rushing yards over there. Tennessee, again, the defense played, I thought, very well and much better than they did against Florida. Darrell Taylor had three sacks, and maybe it woke the defense up a little bit. We look at Tennessee, though, on offense. They're still really struggling. Yeah, they got two touchdowns, but they still only had 66 rushing yards, 2.6 yards per rush, two Georgias, 251. I think Georgia could get to the corner at will, really, if they wanted to. If they wanted to run uh, off-tackle, or anywhere around the corner on the outside. They could have done that all day long, I think. Their passing game did not look crisp. I think Georgia does have some questions. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But Tennessee, still only uh, you know 209 total yards. So again, not a great offensive performance and just 12 points. We did score this time, but it took us until the third quarter to get past midfield. So you had that to look out at. All these other things. We forced four fumbles, but we didn't get any of them. And, of course, the first one is one of the most Tennessee plays we've seen as Daryl Taylor strip sacks from, and then the Georgia tight end picks the ball up and runs 40 yards for a touchdown. The only way that could have been a more Tennessee-type play is if we had done that with Tennessee leading with about 20 seconds left to go in the game and Georgia picks it up and runs into the end zone right there at the end of the game. That would have been the only way that could have been a more Tennessee play to have happened. So, but when you look at everything, Tennessee kept playing hard. And I've talked about this before. When you look at the way Tennessee is this season and now expectations as we've had more games into this season, you look at what guys are still going to be out there and still playing hard the whole time. Are they going to keep the effort up there? Because those are the guys you want to stay on the team. You can't cater to people who aren't going to be out there playing hard, even if the game is out of reach. Because, yeah, you might be getting your butt whipped if you're Tennessee, and you've got some choices if you're getting your butt handed to you. You can either throw in the flag, wave the white flag, and just be done, or get better. And I want the guys who want to get better and make this team back to where it needs to be. And I think we had some guys out there trying to do that. One of the other big questions, of course, is if you put in Chris, is that going to give you a better chance to win than Garantano? Honestly, I don't think so because the way the offensive line is playing, I don't know who you're going to get 
out there. Maybe the fact that Garantano at some point, even though he's not in danger of getting sacked, maybe he's got you know eyes in the back of his head or he thinks he does and he can feel the pressure coming when there's really not any because he's been hit a lot as anyone will tell you I'd like for him to go through a couple games without getting hit Uh, that would be nice for him but we'll still have to kind of see how that plays out the offensive line people like Tennessee needs to throw deep more I don't even know though if the offensive line can hold their blocks long enough for no matter who's quarterback to throw the deep ball. Uh, what I would love to see is with Tennessee's offense, can we get the ball to our playmakers in open space? I mean, you look at the touchdown that Chandler had where they get the ball to him on a quick little pass and then he's able to meander and run his way into the end zone. That was great. You need to get the ball into your talented players' hands. I mean, get the ball to Chandler on some little dump-offs. You know, instead of having a back in to try and pick up that last person on the blitz, dump it off to him, maybe make something happen there. Maybe run a screen pass on first down instead of third down when it's an obvious screen pass situation. Get the ball to Jennings. I mean, he, he throw the ball to him maybe on a slant, on a quick slant where, yeah, he's not, Jennings is not a, a you know, a speed burner, but he's a big guy. It's going to take two two defensive backs to get him on the ground, so get him maybe on a quick slant and let him muscle his way to a 15-yard gain, something along that. You know, Palmer's got some good catches. Callaway, if you can get him in one-on-one situations with a cornerback, throw that ball up and let Callaway come down with it. Again, I hope he's okay with that concussion and everything. We'll have to see what happens through this bye week, but... I feel better. I feel better with the chance that Tennessee has the opportunity to maybe win an SEC game this year, which again is a low bar. This is not where Tennessee is supposed to be. It's a low bar, but where we are right now, those are the expectations that you need to set yourself. Besides Charlotte, according to the ESPN Football Power Index, and Charlotte again, Tennessee is about a 95% chance of winning that game. The only one that Tennessee has a reasonable chance, really, is still the season finale at Vanderbilt. Tennessee's about a 40% chance to win that game. So Vanderbilt, even with their struggles against Tennessee State last week, Vandy still has about a 60% chance to win that game. Everything else is not really that close. We'll have to see again how we get closer and closer to these games. Tennessee has a bye week coming up, so what we look for with the Vols, get better heal up, also get better as a team, come together, do some team activities, whatever those may be, and think about it. You guys are going to get better. It's just something you guys have to think about and work towards, and I think the Vols can do that. I think they can be competitive in these games. We've got Auburn coming up. A lot of people are even thinking Tennessee might have a chance against Auburn. I I don't know. Stindham I think Jared Stenham, the Auburn quarterback, I think is a better passer than Fromm is. So I think, and you could see Fromm had a tough time on some deep balls. I don't know if the receivers for Georgia were trying as hard as they needed to be on some of those. So you need to look at that, and we'll just have to see. Um, Auburn has a tough matchup. I think they're playing Mississippi State coming up this week. So we'll see what's happened with Mississippi State. I mean, they've lost to Kentucky, and they lost the Mullen Bowl this last week to Florida. Fitzgerald just looks utterly confused. They're forcing him to try and throw the ball, and he has not been able to do that. So we'll have to see where Auburn is coming out of that game. 
Tennessee's got Auburn. I believe it's going to be a noon kickoff. They haven't decided the channel yet, but it's going to be a noon kickoff somewhere on the ESPN uh, family of networks. So maybe Tennessee can get a jump on a, a sleeping Auburn team. We'll see. I mean, I'm still going to pick Auburn to win that game as we get closer to it, but maybe Tennessee has a chance. I don't know. I feel better, though. That's the whole point of this. I feel better about the team than I did a week ago against the Florida Gators. So that is something to look forward to. As we look into everything else going on in the world of college football, you have to come to realize after everything that happened this last week, it's still Alabama and then everybody else. This could be, and I hate saying that as a true Tennessee fan, this could be an Alabama team for the ages. I mean, Tua Tagovailoa is the best quarterback Saban has ever had. The defense, of course, is just going to keep chugging along. This offense, it's probably the best offense that Saban's ever had, and that's just not fair to the rest of the country, especially in the SEC. Now again, we'll see what happens when they've got to play LSU. LSU, though, you look at all these other teams that are under Alabama, they all have some question marks. Georgia, where is their offense right now? Are they going to go with fields more? In some of these scenarios, you know, they've got to play at Kentucky coming up uh, in a few weeks where that could be a game where, I mean, I'm, I'm still got Georgia winning the East, but it could be a game where you've got to look at it if you're a Georgia fan that you've got to pay attention to that you didn't think you had to pay attention to. Of course, they've got LSU coming up in a couple weeks and, of course, Auburn as uh, one of the late season games that they always have. So, but there's issues there. Their receivers did not look crisp in the game. The defense, I thought, for Georgia still played well, but they gave up some of these big plays to Tennessee at the end. So where is their front seven at this point? You know, Georgia didn't look sharp in this game. Some of that credit to Tennessee's defense, uh, but I think Georgia's got some things to work on themselves. So you look at what Georgia's been doing. You look at Clemson. I mean, Kelly Bryant left the team. He's... Like, no, I'm going to redshirt and transfer because you put Trevor Lawrence in, which people have been giving him a big uh, dosage of, hey, he's being selfish. No, this guy's looking out for himself where, because you look at all these coaches who make millions and millions of dollars, if they're getting a better offer somewhere else, they could leave that day and go coach there. So I'm not going to get on Kelly Bryant for being a selfish player at all for any of this because he's looking out for himself and you need to keep that profile. If you want to play in the NFL and you are not going to be able to get a high draft pick if he's sitting there on the bench behind a freshman. No, he's going to go and transfer and save that extra year of eligibility that he might lead So, and he might need. So I give him full blessing for that. I'm not going to get on him for wanting to do that and look out for himself. No, kudos to him. But Clemson, they've got an interesting thing. I mean, they really should have lost to Syracuse. That uh, lineman down the field, it was a fourth and one jump pass that they called, Syracuse called, and they got it. But then they had to move back five yards because they had an ineligible receiver downfield and it cost them. They had Trevor Lawrence got hurt early in the game and then uh, Chase uh, Chase Bice, I believe is his name, or Bryce, came in. And now, they granted, they had a good running back. I mean, the running back had an all-time uh, rushing game, over 200 yards, which they had to rely on. But Bryce made a fourth-down throw 
Clemson saved themselves in this one. And Syracuse, I mean, they're a good team. Dino Babers is a really good coach. I like him up there. Man, some of those decisions, though, that Syracuse made and that call really hurt them. But I thought Syracuse had a really good chance to upset Clemson again. But I don't think Clemson, the way this season has been shaping up, I don't think Clemson could lose a game and still get into the playoff with some of the other teams that we'll talk about here. LSU, of course, they have rocketed up the rankings. I still need to see more proof. They've got Georgia coming up in a few weeks. Of course, they've got Mississippi State, and of course, they've got Alabama coming to Death Valley. So you've got those games there for LSU. And again, they proved to me a lot when they beat Auburn, but I still got to see just a little bit more to see if they really are for real. Notre Dame, they took out probably their toughest test, and they beat up on Stanford, which I was very shocked that they were able to do. But congratulations there to Notre Dame. I think moving to Book as their quarterback, I think has been really a great move for them as it's now opened up the playbook a lot more and the passing game has become a lot more dangerous. But Notre Dame, I just don't see them as a top contender when it comes to some of these other elite teams if they get into the playoff. Notre Dame... And again, they still got a ways to go. They got to play at Virginia Tech this Saturday, and it's going to be a night game there in Blacksburg with Enter Sandman blasting. That is a great home field advantage for Virginia Tech. Now, again, Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion, but then they beat the crap out of Duke. So who knows which Virginia Tech team is going to show up? I like to think it's the one who just beat the crap out of Duke. So I think that game is going to be a very exciting game Saturday night in Lane Stadium there in Blacksburg. But if Notre Dame can get by that, they've got the USC game. Now, at uh, the Syracuse game that they have, they're playing Syracuse. It's in Yankee Stadium on a neutral site. So that could be interesting. We'll have to see. But if Notre Dame, if they go through the season undefeated, which they have a very good possibility of doing, I still think the other three teams that are in the playoff with them, if they make it in, I think they're all much better than Notre Dame is, top to bottom. So you've got to look at that. And also, say... Alabama's undefeated, and Ohio State's undefeated, and Oklahoma's undefeated, and Notre Dame's undefeated. Say they're all undefeated, but then you've got a one-loss Georgia team that their only loss is to Alabama in the SEC championship game, and Georgia playing maybe a harder schedule. Do you leave out a Georgia team like that? That's just questions we will answer as we get closer to that selection, but I just think the best four best teams it might not be an undefeated Notre Dame team just top to bottom that's just my opinion we'll have to see how the rest of the season goes Ohio State maybe they're the best threat right now that's not an SEC team to Alabama as they survived at Penn State but of course they have some issues especially they've got a good defense but if Bose is going to be out for an extended period of time someone might come up and bite Ohio State or they might just just run into somebody, you know, of course they've got to go at Michigan state, which is always tough for them. And of course the Michigan game, I think they're better than both of those teams, but we'll just have to see. And who is Wisconsin going to finally wake up and come out of the Western division and challenge them in the big 10 title game. We'll just have to see. That's one of the benefits that Notre Dame has is the fact that they don't have a conference championship game to worry about. They're just undefeated sitting there and just waiting for the team uh, and the committee to make up their minds. Of course, 
you look at Oklahoma or West Virginia out of the Big 12, both of those could be very good. But again, you look at all of these teams, I don't think any of them are as good top to bottom as Alabama is right now. From what I have seen on the field and everything, Alabama just looks, you know, hands and feet above everybody else in college football this season. Now again, we'll see what happens as the season goes on, but right now it's Alabama and everybody else. I, I miss, though, the one thing I'm going to miss, and I wish that they would expand to eight teams, because the way Central Florida has been playing right now, I love watching them just beat the tar out of people. And they've you know, beat Pitt and some of these other teams. I'm really upset, though, that they lost that game. I believe it was against North Carolina due to the hurricane, because having another guy like uh, another Power 5 conference school as a feather in your cap would be interesting. Now, again, they've got to play... South Florida at the end of the season. So you've got some road bumps there for Central Florida. But say Central Florida goes undefeated again. If the playoffs was eight teams, wouldn't it be kind of fun to have number one seed Alabama hosting the eight seed Central Florida? I think that would be a lot of fun to watch, especially because Nick Saban would take that fake national championship that Central Florida claims that they have and uh, use it as motivation and probably destroy uh, the Golden Knights, but it'd still be fun to watch, and I think that would make for at least some interesting trash talk the week leading up to the game. So you've got all of that going. Meanwhile, uh, last thing here about the college football season I was thinking of is Coach of the Year through September. I've got to give it to Mark Stoops at Kentucky. He's got the Wildcats going right now. They're 3-0 in the SEC for the first time since, I think, 1977, and they've got a big game against Texas A&M Coming up, it's in Aggieland, so we'll have to see what goes on there. But Kentucky could, I think they're the real deal this season. I still think Georgia's going to beat them, and I think they'll probably lose maybe another SEC game. Could be this Texas A&M game as we go along. But they beat a good Mississippi State team. They beat a very solid South Carolina team. My hat's off to Stoops and what he's done at Kentucky. Now, this is his fifth year, and she struggled those first few years. And I keep thinking... Would Tennessee fans give Jeremy Pruitt that much patience? And I think no, even though Jeremy Pruitt is also, it's his first uh, head coaching job, just like with Stoops. But when Tennessee is more of the elite football program than Kentucky is, a lot of times the Kentucky football program is just an appetizer for when the main course of basketball season comes along. There's an old story back in the day. One of the reasons Bear Bryant left uh, Kentucky. He was the coach of Kentucky football back in the day. Was there was a sports banquet at the end, and he had a very successful season as a Kentucky football coach. And of course, Kentucky had a great season in basketball. At the end of that banquet, Bear Bryant got a lighter, I think, as a gift, like a Zippo lighter, as a congratulatory gift at the banquet. And Adolf Rupp got a Cadillac. So you can kind of see where Kentucky fans' loyalties lied, and that's why Bear Bryant left, and Kentucky's never really been a threat in the SEC since then. But we'll see what happens with Stoops. Do I see them winning the... I don't see them winning the East again, and if even if they do somehow win the East, they're still going to get pasted by whoever they play out of the West, whether it be Alabama or maybe LSU, uh, probably, at this point. So, But hey, still, hats off to... Mark Stoops there at Kentucky and wish them the best, uh, except, of course, when they play Tennessee. Hopefully Tennessee will beat them. That would make me very happy because it would be an SEC win for the Vols. 
As I talked earlier at the start of the program, it is October. Baseball playoffs are underway as we record this. The brackets shape up like this at the time of this recording. You have uh, the A's and the Yankees playing their one-game wild card in the American League. Uh, the winner will play the number one seed, the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians and the Houston Astros will square off in their divisional best-of-five series. There, out in the National League, you've got Colorado and the Cubs, uh, the Chicago Cubs, playing their one-game uh, wildcard playoff, and they will meet the number one seed, the Milwaukee Brewers, who just defeated the Cubs in a one-game playoff for the Central Division Championship. And uh, then also you've got the Atlanta Braves, who surprised a lot of people coming out of the National League East, and they will face the Dodgers in their divisional series in a best-of-five. So when you look at all these teams... I'm going to go back to in the in the American League. I've got uh, I've got the Yankees beating the A's in the one game uh, series there and they are going to face Boston. I like the Red Sox mostly because it's at home and because of the offense that the Red Sox have. I like them to get the win over the Yankees in 5 games. And then I've got the Astros going over the Cleveland Indians mostly because of Houston's pitching, and they are the defending champs. A lot of people forget that. Houston won the World Series last year. I've got them beating the Indians in four games, and then I've got Boston and Houston in the ALCS. I've got Houston upsetting the Red Sox. I think the pitching is going to come down to it, and we don't know about the pitching. Chris Sale has not been reliable uh, September on as the season goes on, and then uh, David Price who I saw pitch at Vanderbilt and has been amazing for many seasons, but he has not been great in Boston. So I think that's going to come out and bite Boston, where I think the Houston Astros have a better pitching staff. So I've got Houston winning in six games to advance to the World Series. Meanwhile, in the senior circuit, in the National League side, I've got I've got Colorado beating the Cubs and facing the Milwaukee uh, Brewers in that one. And then I've got the Atlanta Braves and the Dodgers in the other one. I've got the Dodgers getting the win over the Braves. I think the Dodgers a little more experienced when it comes to the playoffs than the young Braves team. So I've got the Dodgers winning that one in five games. I've got the Brewers knocking off the Colorado Rockies. I also think in four games in that one. And then between LA and Milwaukee, I mean, you've got a team in Milwaukee that not a lot of people were paying attention to as the season went on and they go out and they're the number one seed in the National League. I've got them beating the Dodgers and I've got them advancing to the World Series in six games. And then you've got Houston against Milwaukee, which is not a very interesting matchup for the fair weather baseball fan who's like, oh, I don't care about either of these teams. Why do I want to watch this? I think it's going to be a great World Series if you get Houston and Milwaukee. I've got Houston winning and being a repeat champion. I've got the Astros repeating as champions in the World Series. I think they beat the Brewers in six games. That's my prediction as we start the baseball playoffs. We will, of course, change that up as the season progresses. A couple of other interesting stats uh, to wrap up. News and notes here in the world of baseball. Of course, uh, one of the weirdest stats you'll ever see. This is an only-in-baseball style statistic. Uh, Oakland A's outfielder-designated hitter, Chris Davis has the unique honor of having batted 247 this last season. He batted 247 
for the fourth straight season in a row. He has had 247, 2015, 16, 17, and 18. It's one of those things that can only happen in baseball. Just a crazy, especially with 162 games and the fact that it's gone four years straight doing that is just one of those weird, weird oddity style statistics. And if you think, oh man, he still batted under 250 all four seasons. He's still a good power hitter. I mean, this last season he had 48 home runs and 123 RBIs and the A's are in the playoffs. So you can't argue with that. One thing I can't argue with is how terrible the Orioles have been. My Baltimore Orioles, 47 and 115. That's the record. 47 wins, 115 losses, a 290 winning percentage. 61 games back of the Red Sox in the AL East. That's how terrible the Orioles were. And, of course, they just traded all their players. Manny Machado's gone. And a lot of their other guys, Shoup and Britton and all those other guys, they just traded them away. The Orioles waved the white flag. And it's just been a terrible, just terrible season for the Orioles. The closest team to them was the Kansas City Royals in terms of suckitude, and they were 58-104. and So they won... 11 more games than the Orioles did. That's just how bad this was. And it's just sad. I mean, the Orioles have been a proud franchise, which just sucks when you look at it. I mean, even you talk about this winning percentage of 290, even if Tennessee finishes and has the worst season they've ever had as a football team and only goes three and nine, that's still a 33% winning percentage, which is even better than what the Orioles have had. So it's just sad to watch just a proud franchise. Camden Yards, a beautiful ballpark, a great atmosphere for a ball game, and it's just sad to watch those Orioles. Hopefully they turn it around at some point, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. But that's it for the first block here on Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back breaking down the world of wrestling and, of course, shibbles and bits you're listening to the modern day gladiators podcast here on the stage diver radio network hey guys you remember when we recorded that commercial yeah dude yeah nailed it well apparently we have to do a shorter more professional commercial boo Mm. sam's gonna be here soon so we'll just dump that off on him hey guys totally just got here how's it going oh perfect sup dude uh Yeah, so we gotta do a commercial. Yeah, and it's gotta sound real professional. Professional, super yeah. professional. Okay. Very. Um, All right, you got okay. this. Yeah. Don't, don't listen. Okay. You got it. Shut up, okay. Kingy. <clears throat> Coming every Monday from the Stage Diver Radio Network. You uh, gross. Really? Yeah. You got this, man. Don't worry about Shut it. Shut up, Kingy. High as fuck, Lander. Do you like conspiracies, movies? How about the occasional dick joke? <laughs> Sounding like an asshole. <sighs> Try hard. Just, yeah, no, man. no, you got this. You shut the f*** up, Bingy. F*** this. You, you know what this is? Much. This is a pit of hate. That's what we are. We are the yeah. monstrous doom child stage diver keeps in their attic. That's true. So just check us out if you feel like hating yourself for that day. F*** this. Yeah. Pretty much nailed it again. Yeah. Welcome back, sports fans. It is another great edition, of course, here of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. We're going to break down some of the stories that might have fallen through the cracks. It's time for Shibbles and Bits. You look quickly here at what the NFL has been going on. Of course, they've been going. My fantasy team is in the crapper right now. I might go over this season. I have not done well. 
felt really good about it going into the season. You know, I've got Antonio Brown and and some of these guys, but man, they just not put up the points that I was hoping for. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers has done not much for me either. Tyreek Hill has been great for the, the Chiefs, but my running backs have not uh, produced what I thought they would, so I'm in a lot of trouble, but enough about me. Don't bury the Patriots, though, just yet. Everybody's like, oh my god, could this be the end of the Patriots dynasty? And then they go out and just beat the crap out of the Miami Dolphins. Now again, we'll see how good the Dolphins really are. They did start the season 3-0. and We'll just have to wait and see. I'm not going to bury the Patriots until they miss the playoffs. If they go through the, this regular season and then they miss the playoffs, then I might start piling deep on the uh, dirt on the Patriots. But I'm not doing it until then. So everybody just take a chill pill real quick and then we'll worry about what's going on with the New England Patriots. Meanwhile, the Rams and the Chiefs are looking like the class of the NFC and the AFC. Man, golf and Mahomes, at quarterback there for their respective teams, just putting up gaudy numbers. It is fun to watch them as we make this transition, it looks like, to a much more offensive-dominated season, especially with all the types of penalties we've been having called and everything like that. So we'll just go with them. We're going to ride it. We'll see now how these young teams go when they get to the playoffs, but right now they are looking like the best teams in their conferences. Meanwhile, back into baseball, Yankees pitcher CC Sabathia. This was something interesting that I found out. He was pitching, and he was on track to make himself a $500,000 bonus once he got to his uh, innings pitched like marker, I guess, that they had set in his contract as a bonus uh, that he was. And he was two innings short, and then what ends up happening was he was ejected Thursday afternoon against uh, last Thursday against the Tampa Bay Rays because he uh, threw a cutter into Tampa Bay uh, Rays catcher Jesus Sakure's left leg. He was essentially defending his team in one of those wonderful tit-for-tat things that baseball players do all the time because at the top of the uh, inning before, Rays reliever Andrew Kittredge uh, threw a ball that sailed behind Yankees catcher Austin Romy's head. So, and then the warnings happened and all that other stuff. But CC Sabathia is still going out and protecting his team. Now, again, I'm not, all these baseball unwritten rules just seem to bother me a lot when it comes to just, just behave and play the damn game. I don't like the throwing of intentionally. Honestly, if you're going to throw at me intentionally with a baseball, I'm bringing the bat to the mound against you because you threw a weapon at me. I'm bringing a weapon against you. CC Sabathia looking out for his teammate. And he sur- he gives up five hundred thousand dollars. Now he made about ten million dollars this year. So, and again, I would love to have five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, much, enough of you people download and listen to the podcast and get me up there. It's still not going to equal five hundred thousand dollars. I would love to have that. Hopefully, the Yankees just cut him a check for it anyway, even if it's not in the bonus. Or maybe they just take the five hundred grand that they were going to give him and donate it to charity or something like that. But. I'm conflicted, of course, because I don't like the tit-for-tat of throwing at people. The beanball war stuff is stupid. It's one of baseball's just ridiculous and stupid unwritten rules that I wish they'd get rid of. But I, I do give credit to CeCe Sabathia for at least sticking up for his teammates there. So kudos for giving up the five hundred grand for that. But man, he knew he was doing it, too. So 
I don't know, I'm conflicted, but I say good on you, Sabathia, for at least defending your boys, even though it's something I am against in the tit-for-tat world of that. Ohio State, of course, they had the big game against Penn State with the whiteout and everything, but someone in Ohio State's Twitter, uh, uh, whoever the social media director is they have at Ohio State, they need to understand the optics of the situation because the uh, the football team's uh, Twitter account shared a graphic, and you can check this out. We put a uh, graphic of it up on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page uh, talking about the top 10 matchup that they were having against Penn State. Of course, Penn State calling out for a whiteout where all their fans wear white and just make a lot of noise. But it featured the word silence along with a message that said silence the white noise. Uh, And, of course, we all understand what that means. That means just to keep the noise of Penn State quiet, you know, Ohio State go out there and beat Penn State and it silences the crowd, but this is a program that seemed to ignore, and especially their head coach, Urban Meyer, you know, not answering accurately questions, I'm saying lying, he lied, uh, about questions about Courtney Smith's accusations and all those other things that we've talked about here on this show. So the optics are just not good. We understand what they were trying to do, but maybe the word silence was not the best word there. So someone needs to pay attention to the optics of a situation like that. Into the world of golf, the Ryder Cup happened this weekend, and Europe just goes out as the better team in the world of golf, at least as a team sport, and destroys the United States 17.5 to 10.5 points. Uh, again, this is played under match play rules, so it goes by every, uh, if you've got a, a guy and you play the first hole, and if I shoot four for par, and then the other person gets a birdie at three, that person gets wins that hole, and it goes, and whoever wins the most holes over the course of the match, over 18 holes, they win that point. There's a four-man best ball, alternating shots type thing. Uh, So there are three days of that, and Europe gets the win in France at the uh, Le Golf National course there outside of Paris. Uh, Europe has won 12 of the last 17 Ryder Cups, and they haven't lost in Europe in a long, long time. Yeah, it's fun when the U.S. wins, but man, Europe, those golfers play better as a team, even though... The U.S. has, according to the World Golf Rankings, the better golfers overall. Europe just plays much better as a team. I mean, you, you look at the guys who move the needle still, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Tiger went 0 for 4 in all of his matches over the weekend, and Phil Mickelson went 0 and 2. So, not good for the guys that really move the needle in the world of golf. I understand why Jim Furyk picked them, because... Even though it is a competition, it's also a television show, and ratings do matter. But that was a tough one there. And of course, there's been a lot of other yipping and anonymous sources complaining about just stuff and people getting along with Patrick Reed and all this other stuff. It's it's a mess on the U.S. side. So Europe definitely seems to take it a lot more seriously, and they've been dominating. That's why they've won 12 of the last 17 of these. And congratulations goes, of course, to Sergio Garcia, who, with a win there in the Ryder Cup, he now has total for his career 25.5 points that he's earned for the European teams over his career, making him the winningest player ever in Ryder Cup history. So congratulations to Sergio Garcia. And we end here 
with some boxing news as HBO has decided to make a change in all of their programming and they have decided to drop boxing coverage at the end here of 2018 after 45 years of being in the boxing world. That's one of the big things that HBO had was really good top boxing matches on their platform, and it's what people sometimes had HBO for. Uh, the first one that they really had, the first big match that they had, was the uh, battle between for the heavyweight championship back in the day, where it was George Foreman defeating uh, Joe Frazier for the heavyweight championship, where George Foreman pretty much obliviate, ob- obliterated, if I could talk, obliterated Joe Frazier, knocking him down six times in two rounds. That's where you get the infamous Howard Cosell call. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Look it up on YouTube. You'll see it there. But uh, So HBO has just decided they're done with it, and I mean, they've had a drop-off in viewership with it. Uh, I think the last, uh, the last big event that they had back in September, the Superfly 3 card um, that they had with some junior bantamweight title eliminators and things like that. There was only about an average audience of 298,000 viewers, one of the lowest ones there. So, uh, you know, they've aired 1,111 fights over the career of HBO over the 45 years that they've been around and carrying boxing, but they've just decided that with ESPN having uh, having a deal now with Top Rank Boxing and boxing being available, of course, Showtime has been big in boxing now, and of course, pay per views ruined so much of the really the championship boxing anyway. So they've just decided it's not worth it, and they're done with it, which is sad because it was always fun. I've had HBO for a long, long time, even as a kid. It was fun to just catch a fight. You know, you see Roy Jones Jr., Oscar De La Hoya, both of whom have had 32 fights on HBO. So, you know, it's kind of sad to see them go that way. Uh, But if that's the decision they're going to make, we'll see what happens. It looks like the last planned one here is for late October. They've got a boxing card. That might be the last one. They haven't decided if they want to have one in November or December. And, of course, the voice of HBO Boxing for years has been Jim Lampley. He will stay on the network in some other HBO sports capacity, we'll see what he's wanting to do there. But just one of the big carriers of boxing just deciding to hang it up. And uh, we'll see if they start adding more later. But right now, they are just done with boxing, which is kind of sad to see. Because it's always fun to watch a good fight. Some of these boxing matches have been terrible. But uh, you look at like Canelo and Triple G, that was a really good fight. Uh, and I'd love to see more of that. Uh, So that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys for listening there. Let's hit the ring real quick because, again, I am still the man in the arena, Michael Shibley, here on Modern Day Gladiators. Let's hit up the wrestling world. The big news coming up, of course, this Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time, I believe, is the Super Showdown live from the Melbourne Cricket Grounds there in Melbourne, Australia. You can hold about 100,000 people. I don't think that many people are going to show up. It'll be a very interesting atmosphere there. Of course, cricket, huge field, so I'm interested to see where the ring's going to be and where the crowd's going to be situated and everything there. But you got a big card uh, coming up for the WWE there on the WWE Network. I'm not going to get up at 2 a.m. to watch this, so I will talk about it, of course, after the event. I'll catch it on replay and everything. But it's a very interesting card. We'll run that down real quick as we get out of here. Asuka and Naomi, the the uh, tag team there, taking on the Iconics of uh, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, the two Australians. I like the Iconics to get a win there, uh, continuing the 
uh, burial and misuse of Asuka, which is a story for another day, but I've got the Iconics getting that win. The SmackDown Tag Team Championships on the line as New Day takes on the bar of Cesaro and Sheamus. I like the New Day to retain in that one. The Cruiserweight Championship on the line as Cedric Alexander defends against Buddy Murphy, the home countryman from Australia there. I actually like him also to get the win in his home country and capture the Cruiserweight Championship. Ronda Rousey is teaming with the Bella Twins to take on the Riot Squad in a tag match. I'm going to go with Ronda Rousey and the Bella Twins to get the win there. Ronda Rousey, of course, the big draw. You want her to get that win. Unless, of course, maybe the Bella Twins turn on her. We'll see what happens there. But I still like Ronda Rousey and the Bella Twins to get the win in that matchup. Meanwhile, the Shield taking on, I guess they're still called the Dogs of War as a trio. I don't know. Braun Strowman, Drew McIntyre, and Dolph Ziggler. I've got the Shield getting that win, even though it looks like they're uh, trying to have sow some dissension uh, there with Dean Ambrose, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. I still like the Shield to get the win there. Daniel Bryan and The Miz go at it again, this time for the number one contendership for the WWE Championship. I still like The Miz to get the win uh, if I have more nefarious means and become number one contender. The Miz has been very solid over these years and this feud with Daniel Bryan. Hopefully they'll have a really good match. They haven't had a good match in any of these so far. I like The Miz, though, to get the win and become the number one contender for the WWE Championship. Becky Lynch and Charlotte face off the SmackDown Women's title. I like Becky Lynch to get the win here as well. And then, of course, they'll face each other again, probably at Evolution, where Charlotte will win. We'll talk more about that as the Evolution event comes up very soon. John Cena and Bobby Lashley. We haven't seen John Cena in a while. He has not been on TV wrestling. Uh, He and Bobby Lashley will take on the team, which has been fun to watch on Raw, by the way. Kevin Owens and Elias have been great on Raw to watch, so check that out if you get the chance. But I do like John Cena and Bobby Lashley to get the win there. The WWE Championship is on the line. No DQ, no count-out stipulations as AJ Styles takes on Samoa Joe. I finally like Samoa Joe to get the win here. I've been calling for him to get the win because I think he's due and I think he deserves to have the WWE Championship. I like Samoa Joe to get the win in this one. Uh, I'm assuming by nefarious means again, but Samoa Joe has been great and I want him to be your WWE Champion. Of course, the main event has been as they've been talking about this crazy, crazy on Raw and been hyping all of this for the last time. Uh, even though they had the end of the era Hell in a Cell match back at WrestleMania 28, we've still got the Undertaker and Triple H for the last time in a singles match. They keep saying that because uh, Kane is going to be in the Undertaker's corner and Triple H's friend Shawn Michaels will be in his corner. I keep saying for the last time because I believe that it's going to be. Triple H and Shawn Michaels as DX uh, versus The Undertaker and Kane, the Brothers of Destruction, at the Saudi Arabia event coming up in November because oil money buys a lot, including Shawn Michaels' retirement stipulation that has been in place since WrestleMania 26. But uh, we'll see. I do like Triple H to get the win in this one. We will see, of course, Kane uh, taking a break from being mayor of Knox County to travel to Australia. Here, he actually showed up on Raw last night in Seattle as well. So, everything here in Knox County is hunky-dory as Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, has been busy uh, there with 
Undertaker as the Brothers of Destruction. But enjoy the Super Showdown there on the WWE Network coming up Saturday here at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. So again, it's in Australia, so expect that. I've gotten kind of used to these early morning stuff, watching all the New Japan pay-per-views that I've been checking out. So uh, we'll have a full recap, of course, of all of this as it goes on, including uh, New Japan. They have uh, coming up October 8th, King of Pro Wrestling, where the IWGP championship is on the line as uh that is defended with marty scroll uh taking on mr time bandit himself uh kushida in that one and then of course a triple threat as the golden lovers plus cody rose face each other for the iwgp world heavyweight championship kenny omega kota abushi and cody rhodes going at it in a triple threat match for the iwgp heavyweight championship i do like i do like uh, Kenny Omega to get the win in that one and retain over his friend and rival, uh, over his friend Kota Ibushi and rival slash friend whatever Cody Rhodes at King of Pro Wrestling. We'll talk all about that next time on Modern Day Gladiators. Until then, I am Michael Shibley. Thank you guys for listening. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time. Hey guys, this is Jay Kendrick. And I'm Biggie. And we're here today to talk to you about a new video game podcast coming to Stage Diver Radio Network entitled J&B's DLC. So has this ever happened to you while you're playing a video game? Get good, noob. Your mom looks like Sean Connery and I'd still banger get wrecked. Well, you're in luck because we have a podcast by gamers. For gamers. Every other Monday, everywhere podcasts can be found and at stagediverradio.com.